You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. Good morning, church. Hey, we want to, um, I want to start off uh, this morning just with a time of prayer as we begin. Um, so you're probably expecting Josh, right? Um, so that's what I want us to pray about right now. Um, in the middle of the night, uh, Josh got a call um, that um, they had found his mom unresponsive um, and had to take her to the hospital. Um, and so just a late night drive to Picayune to be there with his family. Um, and so um, I just want you to know, talk to him this morning. Um, and she has been stabilized. They've discovered several different um, health conditions that uh, she's going to have to get past. And um, so I just want us to take a moment and pray for my friend, our pastor, um, Josh and his mom, Sandra, and uh, as they walk through um, this difficult time as a family. And so, um, so if you would, would you join me in prayer for Josh and Sandra? Father, I thank you for being a God who is near to us and is with us every single step of the journey. God, we recognize that the events of last night never caught you by surprise. And through your Holy Spirit, and through the body of Christ, you provided comfort and peace. You've walked alongside Josh and his family every step of the, moment, of the way, in every moment, in every circumstance. So God, right now in this moment, we want to lift up his mom, Sandra. God, I pray for healing for her body. God, I pray that you would just provide through the doctors, the nurses, the care there, everything that she needs as she continues to recover. God, I pray for Josh that you'll give him rest. You'll help him to sleep. You also give him wisdom and discernment on how to help, what to say when to care, when to sit, when to be still, when to be quiet. And recognize that you are a God who is in control. God, I pray that um, as we all walk through life circumstances, that we recognize that you are enough. Despite what we think we need, what we think we might know, what we think we can do, God, you're enough. So God, I pray. I pray for comfort. I pray for healing. I pray for peace. I pray for just a a sustaining arm as you walk beside them the rest of this day and this morning. God, we thank you. Thank you for your incredible grace, your incredible love, your incredible mercy. And we ask all this. In the magnificent name of Jesus, amen. So uh, a few weeks ago, we started a series in the Ten Commandments. And so I want to just kind of remind us as we uh, revisit and we move forward this morning 
Um, we've covered three of those, and today we're going to dive into four. And so just, just a reminder of when God's people receive these 10 words, these 10 short statements, how he desires for them to live as they approach a new land. We're reminded that, that God has delivered his people through his servant Moses out of Egypt, and he's, he's moving them through the wilderness. He's moving them toward the promised land. He's, he's moving them to be a people surrounded by all kinds of kingdoms, and he's moving them to a place that he's going to use them to display his glory, his goodness, that he is the one true God. So as they're traveling, they have this moment that we see where Moses goes up on the mountain and God speaks to him and tells Moses to speak to the people and to say these things. And, and we get these 10 words, commandments, guidance, measurables, if you wish, ideas of how to live and how to abide and how to move throughout this life. These words are important. These words bring life. These words are to help shape them and remake them. Don't forget for generations, this people had been enslaved and in captivity in Egypt. They've been part of a, a culture of many gods, of many religious practices, as now God had shown up and he removes them, he rescues them, he redeems them, he draws them to himself, and he wants to remake them. As Josh put it a few weeks ago, he needs to get Egypt out of them, and so he does so by giving them some commandments, some words to live by. And so we've seen over the last three weeks, we've seen three commandments that reflect on who God is. The first week, we talked about the whole idea that God says, you shall have no other gods before me. This idea that there is no God like him, that he is the one true God and all of creation is to serve him and him alone, that he deserves all glory, that he deserves all majesty, that everything is for him, by him, through him, made by him, all for his glory. There is no one like him. Week two, you should not make for yourself a carved image in other words, there's nothing that could replace him. There's nothing else that we need besides him. There's nothing that we could do with creation that would, that would bring about the, the magnitude and the force and the power and the love and the grace and the mercy of God. He is enough. He is everything we need. Last week, we talked about do not take the Lord's name in vain. This idea that as we take on the name of God, we, we, we kind of wear that. It becomes our identity. It's who we are. It's like a banner waving above us. And we're not to just use it in language in the correct way, but we're to live life in such a way that it brings glory and honor to him. So today, let's dive into commandment four. Now remember... Remember, these are commandments that's helping shape and remake and redeem God's people. And the reason he needs to do that, he, he wants to use them as a kingdom of priests. 
Remember, we went back a few chapters in Exodus to, to grab this passage of where he's talking about how he's going to use them in the land he's taking them to. And so, so as a kingdom of priests, they're to, they're to be this holy nation to represent God, to, to, to represent him and to show him off among the kingdoms of the day. And so in verses 8 through 11 of Exodus 20, we read the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment as the Webbers, great, great reading guys, thank you for leading us in worship. It's one of my favorite times of worship, by the way. It's when we have families and people come stand on the stage and read God's word over us and pray for us as we dive into it. So, so thank you, Webbers, for leading us in that. Thank you for all of you that participated in that. It's, a, it's an incredible moment of worship for us. Um, so Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, I want to read that. If I can find my glasses here, because I can't see these things. All right, so here we go. Verses 8 through 11, it says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, we read this, and I, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I go back to um, like when I was a kid, right? It's the, the first time that, that my parents, like, they would explain to me why we go to church always on Sundays, right? Like, it's the Lord's Sabbath, right? We've got, we've got to give the Lord that day, right? But, but I want us to, to dig in a little bit this morning, because if we're not careful... We'll miss the whole point of this passage. Because I think it's about much more than a day. It's about much more than a point in time. It's about much more of whether it's really supposed to be Saturday or Sunday. Don't forget... God was giving his people these laws because he was doing something in them. So it wasn't about a point in time. It was about a practice. It, it was a practice that was going to cause them to remember. It, it was going to be a practice that was going to remake them. That was going to bring about something in them as a kingdom of priests. It's something that would go down to the depths of their soul, that would dig into their heart, that would go, let me, let me show you a different way. Let me, let me expose some things that, that maybe you carry and let me show you who I am. It, it was the Lord's way of saying, hey, don't miss this, but more importantly, don't miss me. See, if we look through Scripture, we find instances where Jesus in his ministry, he performs miracles. 
There's a moment where he and the disciples are kind of reprimanded for picking wheat and eating. And in all those instances, Jesus reminds the people that are condemning him, the Sabbath is about much more than a point in time. Paul even writes in Colossians that we're not to judge one another in questions of food and drink and with regard to a festival or a new moon or even the Sabbath. Because it is a shadow of things to come, but the substance is actually Christ. Don't miss that. See, for a lot of us, we, we think that Sunday is Sabbath for us. Lord, I came to church. I kept the Sabbath. Can I tell you, we can come into this room. We can schedule the time on our calendar. We can sit in here and worship. We can go to life group. We can hear the word proclaim. And listen, if we are not careful, we will basically isolate Sabbath to this point in time right here. And we will miss the point and the practice of it. We'll leave this place having performed a ritual. We'll leave this place having sang a song. We'll leave this place having sat and listened. And we'll miss out on the point that God has for us, that he wants us to gather together to remember and to experience and to magnify and to worship and to point our heart and our soul to him. And can I tell you something? I don't think we should just relegate that to an hour on Sunday. But many of us will talk about the Sabbath as a point in time instead of a practice. So just to be clear, just in case you're wondering, Sabbath, if we go back to Old Testament times, Sabbath was literally Saturday for us, the seventh day of the week. It's this whole idea that you work six days and you rest on the seventh day. And, and it, was a, it was a way that God's people remembered that they were waiting for something to come. They were waiting for something that the Lord would provide. That they were living out this life, but there was something that they desperately needed. But then Jesus comes. You see the New Testament church begin to move this practice away from the seventh day of the week to talk about the first day of the week when worship was about Sunday, signifying that rest has come. Rest in Christ for the work to be done. But I'm here to tell you this morning if we get caught up in whether it's Saturday or Sunday or whether it's this kind of practice or that kind of practice, if it's about solitude or if it's about uh, rest and, and, and relaxing or if we make it about uh, I'm going to spend time in prayer for Sabbath, if we make it about all those things, we will miss the point. God is wanting to do something deeper in our hearts and in the deep part of our souls. 
So as we look at the fourth commandment, I think there's a few things that we need, we need to see. The first one is this. In verse 8, he says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. I want you to, to recognize this, that when God communicates this idea of Sabbath to this group of people coming out of Egypt, listen, where they had been oppressed, they had been enslaved, they had been made to do just hard, terrible, difficult labor. Not by somebody that loved them, but someone who was really, they just, they hated them. They wanted them dead. Pharaoh wanted nothing more than to literally diminish or get rid of the Israelites, the Hebrew people. So he decides he's just going to continue piling work after work after work after work on God's people to the point that they begin to cry out and go, God, please come help us. Hear our cry. Do something about this. So I want you to think about this. When God introduces this idea of work and rest, it communicates something deeply to them and to us about the character of God. Whereas they had experienced a Pharaoh, uncompassionate, hateful, oppressive, they're being invited into the presence of And the company of a God who loves them, who wanted to give them his name, that showed them compassion and rest and life and freedom for his glory and their good. You see, when we we truly practice Sabbath, when it's about more than a point in time, when we take a moment to think about who God is, we, we sang about it this morning. God, there's a, there's a thousand names I could give you, and you deserve every single one of them. God, I, I need you. I, I need you all the time, every day. I need you to sustain life for me. God, you're... you're your goodness, your faithfulness. If I just take a moment and rest, my attention is drawn to the character of God and who he is. And can I tell you, there's a world around us that's not displaying those things. But for whatever reason, that's what we continue to chase. we got a good God, a gracious God, a faithful God, a providing God, a rescuing God, a redeeming God. When, when we truly practice Sabbath, we see the character of who God is. Number two. We see the call of God. You might go, wait, what, 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 
John, I don't, I don't see that in there. It's just practice the Sabbath. I, I want you to think about this. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And he begins to describe about how no one should do any work. But then listen to this. Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. I don't want us to miss this. Let's rewind to the, the previous three commandments, right? The first one, there is no God like our God. He is the one true God. There's, there's no one else who can save. There is no one else who can deliver. There's nothing in all of creation that can provide what he provides. There's, there's nothing that has the power to do what he can do. And we're to, we're to carry that name. It's, it's, it's based around this is who God is. And as his people, you are the imago Dei, image of God, image bearers. It's a reminder, the first three commandments, commandments are a reminder of who God is and that we bear his image. And then the fourth commandment, Issues the idea of the amatatio dei, an imitator of God. You're an image bearer. So literally, listen, when he describes what God does in creation, God created all the things, all the things in the sea, the earth, the heavens. God did all of his work and he rested. And literally, God is saying, do what I do. I've set you up as a kingdom of priests. You're my image bearers, so do what I do. Imitate me. Follow after the things that I've set before you. Be an imitator of who I am. It, it harkens back to this idea that they're a kingdom of priests. They're meant to put God on display. And it's about much more than just talking about him. It's about doing what he did. For, for us, church, when we come to Christ, it's not just about us going, oh, hey, yeah, I go to church. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I place my faith in Jesus. When we, when we surrender to the Lordship of Christ, when we come to him and we go, Jesus, you're our everything, you're our king, you're our Lord, here's my life, do what you please with it, then at that moment, we are a part of the body of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Christ. We're to imitate and put on display Jesus to the world. He showed us grace, we should show grace. He shows us care, we should show care. He loves deeply, we love deeply. When, when we think about even who we are and who we say we are as Broadmoor Baptist Church, listen, Jesus lived generously, right? He gave his own life. 
He laid aside his crown, his glory. He stepped out of heaven. And so therefore, what should we do? We should live generously. Jesus came down so he could run to us, to those that were hurting. So what should we do? We should imitate Christ and we should run to the hurting. When we think about who we're going to be as a church, when we surrender to the Lordship of Christ, it is not just saying a name, it's living a name. And he's called us to be a kingdom of priests to put his glory on display, to imitate him. But the final thing I really want us to see is we see the accomplished work of God. And I want us to be careful. Those those things earlier, we see the character of God and he calls us to imitate him. And hopefully when we think about that church, that should bring, I mean, just honestly, that really should bring an immense pressure on us. I, I, I don't think we could go, yeah, that's what we ought to do. Yeah, we should imitate him. No, I've got to imitate Christ. Can you think of the burden that that puts on me? And I go, wait, I, I know me. I can't do that. I'll never be able to live up to that. You're right, church. That's why I think we need to recognize and why Sabbath is so important. We need to recognize this third thing. The accomplished work of God. If we look back and we just pick out the word Shabbat, Sabbath. The Hebrew word is Shabbat. It literally means to cease, to stop, to labor no more, to put the work aside. Let's think about this for our lives. How many of us could say we actually do that? How many of us really... Stop, cease, and rest. Now, I don't want us to be mistaken. I came across a quote from a guy named John Mark Comer, his book, Garden City. I want you to listen carefully. Work and rest live in a symbiotic relationship. If you don't learn how to rest well, then you'll never know how to work well, and vice versa. After all, the opposite of work isn't rest. It's sleep. Work and rest are actual friends. They're not enemies. They are bride and groom who come together to make a full, well-rounded life. You see, I think we have a, a danger of what we do is we want to make Sabbath about us. Oh, Lord, I've worked hard for six days. I need my day of rest. 
Lord, I can't, I can't wait to just disengage, unplug. Veg in front of the TV. Have that sip of something. That's my Sabbath. That's not Sabbath. That's self-reliance. That's self-serving. Sabbath, can I tell you this? Sabbath is active. It's doing something. It's not sleep. It's the engagement with our mind and our heart and our soul of the God who had created us and saved us and redeemed us and loves us and showers his grace and mercy on us. It's a deep, active connection with the God that we worship and serve. You see, our bent in this day and time is self-reliance. We we believe we can take care of ourselves. We can do it. In fact, we'll do so much, we'll make our lives matter. Out of what we do, it'll give us a sense of worth and value. We'll think that keeping a list of commands and making a difference in the world will do something to earn the attention of God and deserve his favor. We'll even begin to push that thought so far down the road that we will think that somehow our doing will bring about salvation for us. Jen Wilkin wrote this, and I think they are scathing yet encouraging words. It's in a book called Spiritual Disciplines, and she's talking about Sabbath. And I want, us to, I want us to listen closely because I don't know about you, it describes me perfectly. <laughs> she says this, many of us willingly live under the rule of hurry, anxiety, and restlessness. We are working to provide for ourselves, constantly comparing ourselves with the lives of those around us. Yet God gives us Sabbath to interrupt this pattern and remind us to remember that he is God and we are not. He's the one who doesn't sleep so we can rest in peace. We're addicted to achievement and accumulating because we refuse to be content with who we've been given and the worth that we've been given by him. We're addicted to self. We love the idea that we can control our own future through health, through fitness, through safety, through money, through morality. We'll sing songs declaring our sinfulness and praising God's goodness. And then we will walk out the door and calendar like all the world is all on our shoulders. We search for a day off and what we need truly is Sabbath. Time spent actively denying the urge to produce and perform and humbling our hearts before God himself. Sabbath restores our sight. We delight in God and his work with ever-increasing joy. We cultivate delight in God for who he is and what he's done. We Sabbath to proclaim that we are in Christ. Thank you, Jen Wilkin. Church, 
The practice of Sabbath is not about checking a box. The idea of Sabbath is not about us. Jesus even said it like this. Sabbath is not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. It's not about the moment where we get to rest and lay our burdens down. It is about a moment where we actively pursue nothing else beyond God. It's a moment where we understand we can't do it. We are not enough. I don't have it in me to imitate him. I don't have it in me to keep all the commandments. But he does. I'm not enough, but he is. See, Sabbath reminds us that God has accomplished the work. If we go back to Genesis, we have this incredible poetic account of how God created the heavens and the earth and all the animals and, and, and the plants and all of mankind. And it says, look, in Genesis it says, and when, listen, and when all of his work was complete. Don't miss that, church. If I roll over later on in the New Testament, I'll read that God has established salvation for those that are in him before the foundations of the world. They were in Christ before the... Look, don't miss this. God completed his work and he rested and now he enjoys his creation in mankind. He's done what it takes. He's finished it. When Jesus declared what happened on the cross when he died and he says, it is finished. The work was done. Can I tell you this? The work had already been done. God knew that mankind would fall and be sinful and he would send his son Jesus None of it took him by surprise. He knew that his perfect, good work, only he could do something better. And so he redeems it. He sends his son to display the incredible act of love through his life and his death on the cross and through the power of his resurrection. God finishes the work. He has delivered. He has redeemed. He's made it possible. He sustains. He provides. He blesses. He moves. It's all for him. It's all to him. It's all because of him. The work is finished and we had nothing to do with it. Glory to God. So when we practice Sabbath, however you practice it, my hope is that you would have moments of Sabbath every single day. The recognition that we can rest in the finished work of Christ. That 
we'll have moments even within our work that every fiber of our being is crying out for the glory and the majesty of God. Focused on Christ, who he is, what he's done. There'll be moments that we break away and we can, we can just sit and there's nothing we do, there's nothing we say, just to sit and revel in the provision of God. Church, don't miss that. Don't, don't miss an active rest in our Savior. To where our heart is drawn to Him. Our mind is set on Him. And our life is surrendered to Him. I think Jesus would actually say it a different way without even using the word Sabbath. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus would look at a group of people. They've been striving They've been working. They've been trying to make their way to God. And Jesus will simply say it like this. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. In essence, I I finished the work. Depend on me. I think Christ would say, "There's there's nothing more you can do. Just trust in me. He would go on to say, so take my yoke upon you. Sounds like work to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And the yoke I bring to you, the work I call you into, take my yoke upon you and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Can can I say it a different way? My yoke, my work, my work is easy. My burden is light. Remember earlier when I talked about the idea that we're called to imitate God? It feels burdensome, right? We think about the, the things we need to do as the body of Christ. Sometimes it's like, oh, that makes me tired. But when we come to Christ and go, Lord, this, 
This is what I was created for. I was created to give you glory. I was created to to walk with you, alongside you, to live in your work. It's what you've made me for. I think as the people here in Exodus read this, and as we read it today, it's, it's a reminder. To come to Jesus. Come to the one who can give you rest. Come to the one who can give you life and joy and fulfillment. He's the one that's in control. He's the one it's all about. And he's the only one who can finish the work. When we Sabbath, when we truly Sabbath, we remember God's character. When we truly Sabbath, we'll be reminded of God's call. We truly Sabbath will rest. We'll no longer labor, labor will no longer strive. We'll rest in the finished, accomplished work of Christ. Church, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you have moments that you intentionally practice and actively engage Sabbath. I would encourage you to do so. To be reminded of God's goodness and his faithfulness, to be reminded of the work that he calls us into, to be reminded of what he's accomplished through his son, Jesus. I would encourage you don't just limit that to an hour on Sunday mornings for some of you you need time in every day to do it others of you you need to set aside a day for some of us in this room we may need to set aside a week right remember what Paul said don't judge one another according to your practice of like the point in time, not for a festival or ritual or Sabbath. Spur one another on toward the substance, and that's Christ. My prayer as the body of Christ is that we would do whatever it takes. We would sacrifice whatever it takes. We would set aside whatever it takes to draw our mind and our heart and our soul to Jesus. Because it's in that that we can live for him and truly find rest. I want to pray for us today as we respond to him. Father God, thank you so much for your word. 
God, thank you for the reminder of who you are. Thank you for the reminder of the work you've called us into, but more importantly, God, thank you for the reminder that you've done it, you've finished it, you've accomplished it, you've redeemed, you've rescued, you've delivered, you have provided rest to our weary souls. God, I pray that we would examine our lives, the things that we chase after, the things that we think we can control, the things that we work for. God, I pray that we would truly learn to find rest in you. As you restore us, as you redeem us, as you literally remake us as we walk with you. God, help us to respond. Help us to surrender every part of our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, would you stand as we sing and we celebrate and we respond?